Last week, Dan from Omni joined me to talk about their software that is drilling down all levels of suppliers and bringing harmony to the process that will keep your teams focused on your supply chain and not in the weeds of parts and suppliers figuring out disruptions. In case you missed it, it's episode 133 wherever you subscribe to the Let's Talk Supply Chain podcast or under podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. Ayana is responding to the needs of the intermodal freight industry, and they are delivering. They have created a brand new program called The Business of Intermodal Continues. It's entirely online and will include educational webinars, virtual panel discussions, market updates, and industry leader interviews throughout the remainder of 2020. For more details, visit intermodal.org. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. Well, last week I was part of the Freight Forwarders Conference talking all about what we're doing over at ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. And I met some amazing people from around the world. And now this week I'm going to be speaking at the Pacific Trade Conference and then also speaking at the DCS, which is the Digital Container Summit out of Germany. And we're going to be talking all about supply chain media, what that even means, and so, so much more. And that's coming up on Thursday. Hopefully, you are going to be joining me at one of those two amazing conferences coming up this week. So I've been having so many conversations about globalization, Localization, offshoring, shoreshoring, nearshoring, and everything in between because supply chain leaders are taking a look at everything they are doing in their current supply chains and figuring out their next steps. Well, what if I told you that some of the biggest considerations are around taxes and the impact on those decisions? Well, today we are tackling this topic with someone who knows more about how to work taxes into that strategy than anyone else I know. I will reveal my guest for today's episode after we get to the question of the week. So the question of the week was, what do you do in your current job that you wish you would have learned in school? This was a big one. We had a lot of amazing answers over on my personal LinkedIn page. And uh, Lisa Fenton says, a lot of great input here already. I would suggest some type of global awareness course to educate us about how other, how other countries operate. Um, we also have Nicole Glenn. Geometry, ha, just kidding. I would love to learn more about graphic design. Additional writing courses would have been off, awesome with strong critiques and focus on finance as well. Matt Weller, common business education still seems to teach folks if you optimize all components of a supply chain, then the whole business will be optimized. And if co cut costs, 
you're if and if you cut costs, you're getting ahead. This is exactly false. The reality is you should be focusing on the whole. And that's what he would like to see. More system thinking, more value chain. That's what he would have liked to see in school. Chris Jolly, I really wish there was more classroom practice on sales and or navigating through difficult conversations tailored towards logistics. I think in general, um, I think that's a great comment, Chris. I mean, just being able to uh, communicate through difficult conversations would be such a good life skill. Matt Anders says plagiarism is discouraged in school, but is an essential skill in the real world. And I went back to him and said, um, interesting. And he said, proprietary information must be fully respected and never claim others' original content as your own. When colleagues are willing to share proven templates or contract languages or graphics or processes appropriate to your needs, there's no reason to create something from scratch. And I absolutely agree with that. Akshay, Great question. So many things come to mind. Here are some of the things I wish school had taught me. Personal finance, health, how to sell and communicate, how does global trade work, and so much more. He even had some advice to the next generation. Ryan Wicklum, coming from someone who doesn't have a post-secondary ticket but has learned from 20 years of experience, it boils down to the person themselves. Can someone see the strategic big picture while ensuring things get done on a tactical basis? Jammin says, more education around emotional intelligence. He says, share toys and play nice with others doesn't cut it. That's a good one. Larry says, a forced course or regiment in storytelling. Yes, I love that. Storytelling is huge right now. Rian says, I would have to say how to be resilient in a culture of constant change. Oh my goodness, that is a super, super big one right now. Michaela Walker, supply chains, period. I didn't even consciously know they existed until about 20 years into my career. Masut says, for me, two skills. Since supply chain requires a systematical approach, either built new systems or improving existing ones for better processes. Alistair, the development of financial acumen. Rick, the art of asking good, relevant question. That is huge. Um, uh, Michael Warden says, uh, social media. Rob says, learned how to listen. That's a big one too. And there's so, so many more great content comments over on my personal LinkedIn page uh, with that question of the week. What a great conversation. Thank you to everyone who commented this week. Remember, we post every single Wednesday morning on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And if you want to be mentioned in an upcoming episode, make sure you get your comments on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn post. Um, so today, Jim Dawson of Global Tax Focus is here to tell us how companies are working with him and leveraging his knowledge of supply chains and taxes to maximize the opportunity they have in front of them right now. So let's get to know more about Jim before we dive deeper into this topic. So Jim Dawson, CEO of Global Tax Focus LLC, is an experienced international business and tax advisor to growing global enterprises and their owners. His focus is on providing cross-border planning to reduce the tax costs to global supply chains. He advises global clients on both U.S. and foreign tax planning, structuring of international operations, cross-border transactions, project management, and coordination of services in foreign jurisdictions. 
So welcome to the show, Jim. Well, Sarah, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to have a conversation with you about uh, taxes and supply chain. I know for some of your your listeners, they hear the word taxes and they they may think about turning their uh, their set off. But I but I hope they listen because I think there is some real value here uh, that they can bring to uh, their organization. Yeah, I'm really excited to get a chance to break down the globalization topic in and around what we're going to be talking about today, which is, you know, the tax component. We're going to be able to give our listeners some extra information as they're looking to change their supply chains. And, you know, after we first met, I thought Jim is definitely somebody I want to have on the show, not only because I saw Synergy's everywhere. Um, and in saying that, I really just started introducing you to a whole bunch of people in my network because I just saw that there was so much potential and opportunity. And so I'm excited to have this conversation today. And so in the introduction, you know, we learned a little bit about you. Um, but Jim, why don't you tell us about the light bulb moment when you first saw or you saw firsthand that tax has big implications on supply chains and that you wanted to be the one to step in and help in that strategy? Sure. Well, I, I think the light bulb moment, it's, it's been something that has uh, flickered on and off over the course of my career. I've been, I've been doing international tax for uh, about 25 plus years. I uh, worked at the uh, uh, at the big four firm partner in two national firms doing solely international tax and one of the things that I noticed is that uh, the the professionals had the propensity to throw out very canned ideas on what a company should do and what I said was uh, look guys there's more to it than this you're just looking at what the tax advantages are you're not really thinking about the operational side, the logistics, the procurement, whatever it might be, whatever the component of the supply chain may be. Uh, you're not you're not understanding how that works. And so it was at that point in time, uh, I actually went back to uh, Michigan State to study supply chain uh, management and was able to uh, grasp an understanding. I'm not a supply chain guru. What I what I like to say is I understand how it works and then using a network of people from around the world who are the experts in supply chain, bringing them into the conversation. And as a result of having the conversation, then I'm able to say whatever it is that you may be doing from a process standpoint, allow me to step back and take a look at the tax implications because tax is, uh, is embedded in virtually every transaction that takes place within a supply chain. Absolutely. You you nailed that on the head. I was talking in a panel discussion a couple of weeks ago about, you know, total landed cost and how if you're going to move your manufacturing to different locations, you know, you really have to take into consideration free trade agreements or whether there's not free trade agreements and what that means to the duties and taxes that you're going to be paying upon the import as well. So I know you gave us a little bit of an overview, right? You're you're working with people globally, then you're looking at the tax implications, but what exactly do you do and how are you helping the companies? Let's let's get a glimpse. All right, so I think the the best way to to think about this is that um, I focus primarily on owner-managed family uh, owned 
middle market companies. So if you if you step back and you think about the the large public companies, they typically have within their organization uh, individuals who are within the finance department, accounting department, who understand and all they do is supply chain. So they're constantly dealing with with what uh, we're talking about here. But for the middle market companies, oftentimes the CEO is really, I always say the CEO is is the chief everything officer because you, you find that a lot of times they're wearing multiple hats as are others within their organization. And they need they needed some assistance. So the idea here was to was to look at what they're doing and help them through the process of understanding the pros and cons of decisions that they make and the and the bottom line implications it has in having a you know an effective uh, supply chain management process. That's really that's really what it what I'm talking about here. So in that process, there's a couple things that I do. The very first thing we do is we, we take a look at what the current state is to make sure we understand where are you today. And then we step back and say, all right, let's look at the future state. What is it that you think you want to do? Now, you automatically get some people say, well, we want to lower the taxes. I go, okay, that's fine. We can, we can work on that. But um, how are you going to do that? So if you start making decisions to move assets, people, and risk around the world, those aren't decisions that are entered into lightly. You have to step back and think about this from your supply chain processes and how is it going to all inter- interlink uh, to provide a good service or product to, to the end customer. And then uh, – we then go through a period of once we understand what the desired future state is, we step back and take a look at what are the processes that would change in this in this exercise. We then we then spend some time going, OK, let's say, for example, they said we want to move our we want to move our procurement from um, the United States. We want to move it to Asia Pacific. We'll sit and we'll we'll go through the model and say, okay, help us understand what are the functions that are being performed currently by your procurement group, and where is the best place to put that, and then we'll we'll provide them options on how they might want to approach that different countries they might want to consider the Philippines versus X Y Z country, whatever it might be. Uh, after that, and we model that. We, we model it for them so that they can see what the, uh, the implications are from a bottom line cost and tax savings. Then we, then we simply just go into the implementation phase. There's many people that are involved in the implementation. We put together a, a timeline and a, um, uh, a to-do list for the attorneys, for the supply chain professionals, whoever it might be in that needs to be involved in this process. We put the timeline together, we put the to-do list together, and then we help manage the process followed by uh, reviewing on an annual basis, is it working the way that you wanted it to? Specifically from a tax perspective, the uh, supply chain professionals have to make sure that everything is working operationally the way it's supposed to.
Right. And I, and I like that you gave us the overview like that because you really gave us an indication into what exactly it is that you're doing. And you're really collaborating. You're bringing all of the stakeholders within a company together into that decision and really taking, taking it apart right? Taking it apart and putting it back together so that it works for the company. So, and I, we're going to get more into that a little bit later once I ask you to give us a real life example, because I want, I want you to tell us a story of how you've worked with one of your customers to do that. But um, first, let's talk about, you know, what is the most important thing supply chain professionals should be looking at that could make the biggest impact on their nearshoring versus their offshoring decisions? Because a lot of people are talking about this right now, and they're, they're, they're taking a look at different scenarios. And I just want to make sure that they have all of the, the, the things that they need uh, to be able to make decisions like that. You know, this is, this is a, a, an interesting time. And that uh, if you step back and you look at what happened uh, in the mid 2000s, 2005 to 10, 12, uh, you saw a lot of U.S. companies look to China in particular uh, due to the the uh, the lower uh, cost of, uh, of labor. And as a result of that, you had a lot of American companies that uh, moved very vital operations to China to take advantage of it, to lower cost and to increase the the after-tax value of their to their investors, whether it be a public company, privately owned, it doesn't matter, just increasing the overall value. But what we've seen is we've seen disruption. And there's disruption. I'll talk about disruption real quickly here in, in, in two veins and, and then tie it back to the nearshoring um, question. So the, the disruptors are the ones that everyone is experiencing today. So every supply chain professional is experiencing the disruption of COVID and, and the impact it's had on every facet of the supply chain. You know, in particular, let's just let's just look at logistics, being able to because we're moving now more to an e-commerce model, having enough drivers available to deliver things in a timely manner, uh, you know, warehousing, you know, having enough space to house product that's going to be picked, packed and shipped. So when you when you look at that, there's been a major disruption. COVID has done that. But what a lot of supply chain professionals are not aware of is that behind the scenes, there's been some very major uh, disruptions from a tax perspective. And I'll just mention three real quickly. The first one uh, is the base erosion profit shifting initiative that was implemented by the OECD. And basically what it did is it said on a, on a global basis, the countries that are a member of the OECD, Europe, the U.S., other major economies, what we're going to do is we're going to change the rules because in the past, we've allowed companies to set up, say, in Ireland, move their intellectual property to Ireland and not have anybody in Ireland. And so they were able to take profit subject to tax at a less than 10 percent rate in some cases in Ireland versus having it back in the United States where it was subject to more tax. So what, what was happening is a lot of games were played with structuring, with hybrid instruments, with transfer pricing. They, they were just being played. And so they came out with uh, 15 action items dealing with all different facets 
of doing business internationally revolving around primarily tax. The wow. second item that that we that we've seen that has had a major impact is the Tax Reform Act, the tax uh, the Tax Cuts and Job Act that was implemented at the end of uh, 2017, actually went into effect January 1st of 2018. And so that in and of itself took the U.S. corporate tax rate from a high of 35% to 21%. And it had a couple other components, such as the global intangible low-taxed income and the foreign-derived intangible income. And people are going, well, what is all this stuff? Well, what they were doing is they were looking at what had American companies done. They had shipped the intellectual property and the rights to the income to that intellectual property offshore to lower hmm. tax jurisdictions without proper substance. Right. And so they basically said, we're going to, you're leaving this cash offshore. We're going to do two things. One, we're going to change the system. So the United States changed its taxing system where before we were under a deferral system where a U.S. company could take cash offshore or operations offshore, the profits from that operation could stay offshore, not subject to U.S. tax unless it somehow uh, crossed the line of what's known as tainted income, subpart F. Uh, if it wasn't that, it could stay offshore, not subject to tax. Until wow. such point in time that you brought it back to the United States. And most yeah. of the world has the system where it's, it's a territorial system. So the United right. States shifted its focus to more of a territorial system, resulting in a, a lot of accounting firms and big corporate uh, uh, accounting uh, practices within the uh, companies were doing this thing called a, a, a repatriation calculation. And mm -hmm. so all of the earnings and profits for these for, uh, controlled foreign corporations, they basically said that income is going to be subject to tax at about a 15% rate, and we're going to allow you to pay it over eight years. So now the U.S., being the largest economy in the world, is on the same playing field as the rest of the world in being taxed on a territorial basis versus a deferral basis. And the last item that ha is having a major impact from a tax perspective is what's happened in Europe with uh, Brexit and now what's what's going to happen with the relationship between the UK and its European, uh, former European uh, partners and right. the US relationship with uh, the UK in particular. So well, those are, that's what's going on. Yeah, uh, and they've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> they've got a ton of work to do. And I think what's what's happening is, is, is COVID, when you lay COVID on top of that, things are all Jumbled. The U.S. was moving down the path, for example, of having a, a very robust trade agreement with the U.K. I think they're still working on it behind the scenes. When that's going to come to fruition, it's yet to be seen. But what, mm -hmm. it'll, what it'll do is it'll open up the, the, the commerce lines even more between the two countries. So let's yeah, go back. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, there's so much on 
the the plates for leaders in every single industry, but there's so much on the plates for, you know, supply chain professionals in general, because there's so much to think about. There's so many things that we can go and do. And COVID's really, you know, sped everything up and, you know, they're looking more into technology and, and talent and, you know, what we need from a, from a team perspective and so many, so many different things. So I wanted to kind of, I, I wanted to to talk to you about some advice for them because they've got so much going on. There's, there's so much that is probably overwhelming right now that I'm sure tax is probably not top of mind, but it should be top of mind based on, you know, everything that you've just told us, because it sounds like, you know, there's, there's so many things that you need to know. So what are the top five pieces of advice you can give the supply chain community about taxes in their supply chain strategies? Yeah, I think the first thing there. So I, th- I did think about this in the bigger picture. And uh, here are the five things that I often tell supply chain professionals is that a lot of them are so focused on the day to day. And this is this is really what's important. Supply chain professionals are focused on their particular function and what they do. The accounting tax department, they're focused on the books and records and what they do. And what happens is the two never meet, right? They never meet. They never really truly understand, particular, particularly with the middle market. So, you know, you got to remember that for most companies, taxes represents 20% of the cost reported on an income statement. And it's very, very important that in order to reduce that amount, that supply chain professionals work collaboratively with the with the with the accounting or tax department to understand the processes and the implications of moving uh, assets people risk whatever else might be done uh, whatever strategy might be implemented from a supply chain perspective how that is impacting uh, the bottom line tax cost so that's that's first and, and foremost uh, I think it's real important that uh, these discussions happen in such a way that because uh, a lot of times it doesn't happen. I see this over and over again. Supply chain professionals are not at the table and they need to be at the table. When these discussions are, are being made, such as the nearshoring, when we're talking about nearshoring, do I near, nearshore or not? Uh, supply chain right. needs to be at the table. Uh, their, their, their voice is vital in understanding why a corporation may undertake any type of strategy. So it's important that you use your internal relationships to get yourself uh, invited to be at the table if you're not already. Uh, one thing that uh, another thing that I that I often suggest is is it's important to go through a robust modeling exercise. It's very mm-hmm. simple to say, let's go from China to Mexico. But unless you sit down and you actually get into the weeds a little bit and detail, detailed discussions of, uh, of cost and timing and steps, uh, agreements, et cetera, uh, a lot can get missed. So supply chain professionals can appreciate that uh, and, and they know this, everybody knows this, you just can't move a plant from China to Mexico. There's some timing with it, but it's really, really important that uh, 
they're a part of the modeling exercises. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. I would agree with that. I, I think it's, it's thinking big picture. Yes. So it's a question of what if, what if we did this? And so many times, uh, what you'll find is, is a lot of tax professionals will look at things and say, well, you know, it's worked for ABC company. I'm going to try it here. And they try to shoehorn strategies into a company versus actually sitting back and listening, understanding operationally what's going on, and then creating a, a path for that company and not shoehorning something in that they did for someone else. So I think we're, what, what's real important is for the supply chain professionals to be open-minded to the possibilities, the what-if scenarios, because that's really how it works best. I, I kind of think of it this way, Sarah, in that uh, uh, you and I are sitting across the table from each other. Uh, we're looking at a, at a coffee cup. You see it from your angle. I see it from my angle, but we both see the same thing. There may be a different, uh, there may be different light. There may be other conditions that change our view of it, but we're both seeing the same thing. And I think it's important that we take objects, we turn them upside down, inside out, every which way we can so that we truly come to the best decision uh, for the, for the company and not just ours. So a little bit of pride comes into that sometimes, but it's really about being a part of the discussion. Well, and you make a, you make a good point there because at the end of the day, if you're not looking at all angles and you make that move, um, there's some there's some good, but there's also some bad that come that can come out of that. What do you think about free trade zones? Should they be um, looking at free trade f- free trade zones as a benefit or an advantage? Absolutely. I mean, I th- I think one of the uh, one of the contacts that you had shared w- was uh, Adimo Perez with uh, the IPG, IPG group, I think it is, uh, down in um, Cologne in Panama. And so when you look at how a, how a free trade zone works and you think about, well, wait a minute, you know, what's the biggest advantage of being in a free trade zone? There's, there's several, but probably the biggest one is that I can bring the product in, I can bring the components in, uh, I can bring them into the free trade zone, not going to pay any type of of duty on anything. I can manufacture it. I can assemble it, whatever I'm going to do with no cost. And then I can go ahead and move it. I can move it out. Uh, I'll export it outside the United States. I'm okay. It's only when you move it into the United States in this example, that it would, uh, it would uh, result in some, some taxes. I think what you're looking at with, with like Cologne down in Panama, uh, you're looking at a, a site where when you think logistically about traffic moving east to west, uh, it either starts or ends for the most part at the Panama Canal. And so right. you have a facility there in, in Cologne where you can store a lot of inventory. You can, you can put a lot of uh, assembly type operations and then move it out uh, east or west, south or north, uh, depending upon what it is that you're, you're, you're selling at the time. And you can gain some real tax benefits from doing so. Yeah, and Panama's in a great location. I I went to visit demo actually there, and I think it's called IPL Group. So we'll give them IPL. a little bit of a shout out there. Yeah, make sure um, we get it right. And 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're doing some really great things there. And I think, like you said, you know, depending on where the cargo is moving from and moving to, there's really a lot of benefits to take a look at, you know, different solutions like that, including free trade zones that you may or may not have thought about. I think the other the other thing to consider is free trade agreements as well. And those do change. Um, you know, we just had the USMCA, you know, come in. And uh, so things do change. So to have somebody keeping on top of that, so you know that you're taking full advantage of, of what's going on there in global trade. So I know you, you've given us a couple of, of examples of, you know, what you've done, what you've brought to companies. Can you give us a specific example of one of the companies that you've helped? You know, what was the challenge that they came to you with? What was the solution and what was the benefit that they they saw from working with you? Sure. Well, I'm working on one right now. And so I don't know what the uh, the end result's going to be because we're going through the modeling exercise. But I would be uh, glad to share it with you because it's real time and it, and it and it's dealing with some of the... Uh, disruptors that we're talking about today. So uh, I have a, a, a U.S. manufacturer of a item that is used in the construction business. So they, uh, many in 2012, they moved their, their um, sourcing for the product to China. And as a result of uh, COVID, uh, there was disruption. So they weren't able to, to get product in a, in a timely manner. So we stepped back and we took a look at what they're doing and we said, let's say they are, they're distributing their product primarily to uh, Asia Pacific, Latin America and the United States, a little bit to Europe, but mostly it's, it's the Americas region and Asia Pacific. And so I'm looking at this, the discussion has been, um, where would you look to move your sourcing? And so we looked at, we're, we're currently looking at um, India, we're looking at Turkey, and we're looking at Mexico. And so the one that makes the most sense in this, uh, in this example, is, uh, is Mexico. It makes the most sense. And, and the reason is, is as you just alluded to, the free trade, the, the revised NAFTA agreement, USMCA, provide some real advantages of being able to manufacture the product in Mexico, get it to the U.S. marketplace very, very quickly. Uh, as you mentioned, the fully uh, loaded landing cost. And then you have the, uh, the cost of getting something from Mexico into, into Latin America. So we're looking at that right now. Uh, do we do we start the process of moving that that sourcing from China to Mexico? Do we set up our own facility? Do we uh, take on a new supplier? Uh, how is this going to impact our distribution? And what is the cost going to be? So right. that's that's kind of a real live example of looking at it and going, well, wait a minute, <clears throat> the way it is right now, since this product is made of steel, uh, we have the U.S. has put some some a 25% tariff on steel products coming in from China. Maybe moving it to uh, Mexico, we avoid that, and we get some uh, we get we get some other benefits 
related to the logistics side of it primarily in this and labor and labor. I think the labor between the U.S. and, or excuse me, Mexico and, and China, I don't see where that's going to, uh, uh, it's probably a push for the most part, probably a push. Right. Maybe, maybe Mexico might even be a little bit more beneficial. So, um, that's an example of the type of analysis that we, we help, help them with. Mm-hmm. And they're really going to benefit from that, right? I mean, they made the move to China, you know, obviously something unforeseen has happened and now they need to make a move into what's going to happen, what's going to help them into the future and the new normal, right? So, you know, what if I'm a supply chain professional that's listening to this and I'm like, you know, tax advantage is really more of a business solution than a supply chain solution. What would you say to somebody if, if they had that mindset? You know, I can appreciate the uh, the the thought that it's a business uh, benefit. I, I really think it is a a benefit for the operations. It it really truly is, and it's just it's just very very important that the supply chain professional appreciates doesn't have to understand, but appreciates that that tax plays a vital role in these decisions. Tax should never wag the dog's tail here. That's for sure. Uh, it should be based upon what is best for the company from an operational perspective and then overlay tax on top of it. So again, I think for the supply chain professional, if they understand or appreciate, let's put it that way, if they appreciate that taxes is something that is it's instrumental that it be included in the overall analysis. I think they can bring a lot of uh, value to the table by saying something. For example, hey, look, we have we're, we're going to need to we're going to need to uh, move our warehousing. Uh, do we set up a free trade zone, or do we move our where uh, next to our plant? Do we move a um, do we set up a, a warehouse in State A versus State B, because we're going to get these benefits from a property tax perspective, or we're going to get these kind of training credits or whatever it might be. And so the supply chain professional's ability to appreciate that tax does permeate throughout all these decisions will greatly help the reaching a point of consensus on what is best, the best direction for the company. Yeah, and it, ha- it should have a seat at the table when at least Absolutely. you're you know, your supply chain strategies. So when you and I first got together and we were we were talking, you had mentioned something around transfer pricing. So I just want to give the audience a little bit of an overview as to what transfer pricing is and how it can be used in supply chain strategies. Sure. So when we think about su- supply chain and transfer pricing, think of it this way: transfer pricing relates to primarily related parties. So if you have a a U.S. parent and foreign subsidiaries around the world and there are transactions happening back and forth between the two. So let's just use let's just use the U.S. and Canada, for example. So we have a U.S. parent with operations in Canada and the U.S. is acquiring services from Canada. And the U.S. says, "Okay, Canada, you're going to provide these services. We have an intercompany agreement. What are you going to charge me? 
and Canada comes back and says, we think we should charge full cost plus 10%. Well, what happens is the IRS, the US IRS may say, well, wait a minute, because we're taking a deduction in the United States, we think 10% is too high. We think it should be five. And Revenue Canada, on the other hand, is saying, no, we think it should be 10. We think these have this value and it should be 10, not five. So there's a process with transfer pricing where you're trying to, through economic analysis, determine whether it should be five, if it should be 10, or should it be something in between? Should it be this methodology in determining the pricing or a different methodology in coming up with the pricing? So for the most part, the, the, the standard that's used is the arm's length method. Arm's length. So what would a reasonable person pay to someone who was unrelated? And a lot of times what I've, what I have found is that the IRS in particular, because transfer pricing, let me back up once, one step. Transfer pricing is the number one issue on a global basis because it's the one item that any taxing authority around the world can come in and challenge to say not enough incomes being reported in my country or you're taking too big of a deduction in this country. Uh, when it comes to things like intellectual property, the value of intellectual property, uh, the transfer of it, what does that mean? What's that going to cost? Because again, if you have a cross-border transaction, anytime you're crossing a border, there's typically a tax, income tax, right. withholding tax, etc. So going mm -hmm. back to the example, typically what you'll see from an IRS perspective is they want to see documentation. And I tell clients all the time, you can do it one of two ways. You can do nothing and allow the IRS to come in and they are going to tell you what the answer is. Or you can be proactive and you can take the, the steps of creating your own documentation. The IRS, under their rules, uh, commonly referred to as 482 rules, they talk about a 10-part study. The study is made up of a portion that is more narrative that talks about the company, the history, the industry, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the real economic side of it. And basically they look at comparables and they may look at fifth, they may look at 15 companies and say, uh, look at the economic indicators within the uh, financial statements and say the, the top rate that could be paid in this example is 15. The bottom rate that can be paid is five. We think it should be 12. All right. That's the medium. We think it should be 12 in this example. Um, so there is, there's a lot to consider when it comes to transfer. Lot. I guess I'm just going to jump in here because I think that, you know, if we are going to really take this seriously and like you said, appreciate it and bring it into our supply chain strategies, because if we're going to have a seat at the table, and we're going to be able to um, have influence on the business and the business decisions. I think that, you know, we need to come together as teams supporting that chief uh, supply chain officer and make sure that we have appreciation of the different the different things that could make an impact on the um, on the the uh, the thoughts right? The thoughts that we're bringing to the table um, and the different approaches and the different options that we're bringing to the table too. So one final question for you, because I want to know what the 
future is. If the future looks really, really bright for you because I think that you're going to do some amazing things in supply chain with all of this incredible knowledge that you have. So what's next for Global Tax Focus? Well, our main our main objective at the moment is uh, just the company is, is relatively new. And so we are uh, getting the word out that we're out there to to help. And so we're looking for strategic partners globally, supply chain professionals. And what we want to do is enter into that type of uh, a type of discussion with them to say, what is it that you bring to the table? How can we when we go out into the middle market, uh, wherever it may be in the world, bring your skill set to bear to help middle market companies for us as a um, as a tax uh, advisory organization we're looking at uh, the opportunity as things change as, as companies come out of covid and things start to get back to this new normal whatever that might be uh, we think we have some some very very a very very strong bench of professionals to help uh, supply chain professionals in having that discussion with their with their company. So one of the things I wanted to make sure your your listeners know is that uh, I am more than happy to have a conversation uh, with anybody. You can go to our website www.globaltaxfocus.com, set up a time. We can have a half hour, hour discussion, talk about your issue, maybe share some. I might be able to share some nuggets of uh, that that prove helpful as you move forward in your in your discussions with uh, with management. And, uh, you know, again, I think it's it's just vitally important that we being tax professionals are a part of the discussion. But we think it's even more important that supply chain professionals are part of the discussion on how do we reconfigure, how do we re how do we reevaluate what we do in the new normal. Absolutely. And I'm excited to see that. I'm excited for the audience to get the chance to sit down with you and just pick your brain and, and talk about, talk through some of the strategies that they're, that they're looking at. So change is our new normal and supply chain professionals must look at all strategies before choosing a path forward into the future of the most important and impactful part of any organization. By focusing on the interaction of operations and tax global tax focus partners with you on the future for more information about jim global tax focus and this episode please visit let's talk supply chain.com forward slash episode 135 or global tax focus.com thank you jim and the team for making this episode happen and for coming on the show to share some of your insights and expertise with us today hey i really enjoyed it thank you for the opportunity this episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain.
If you like this episode, remember to filter our episodes under the category section at podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com. If you are looking for a supply chain company to help you in any challenge you might be facing, that is the place to do it. Next week is the beginning of another month, so we are looking at an episode all about an amazing powerhouse woman, and there is no doubt with our feature for this month. Sponsored by Apex Logistics, I am talking to Genty who first appeared in my LinkedIn feed when she shared quite candidly her incredible journey that inspired so many that day. So stay tuned next week as we dive deeper into what that journey looks like and how she ended up in the entertainment world on the supply chain side. If you'd like to support the show, there's a few ways to do that. Follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to us on YouTube, the SC Supply Chain TV. Ships.com, that's S-H-I-P-Z or Z.com. Visit and sign up. We are in full beta. And if you are a forwarder or a shipper that wants to streamline the pricing of your air freight and ocean freight shipments, gain access to more choice worldwide and utilize the best of data to reduce shipping risks, then you won't want to miss out on our platform. Next, if you're looking for something special for the supply chainer in your life, we've got some really great merch for supply chain professionals or just inspirational merch for the special person in your life. Plus, we have a supply chain dictionary, 107 pages full of acronyms and definitions you can use in your supply chain career. Lastly, if you'd like to be featured on the show, go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review Let's Talk Supply Chain and we will feature your review on an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.